Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Frequent Criers Club podcast. My name is Grace, and I am joined today by the absolutely amazing Julia. Hi, everybody. And today, we also have a very special guest, my housemate, Angie. She's amazing. She's the best, is she not? We're so excited. Honestly, what an incredible first guest for us to have on the podcast. I'm I'm just so happy. Angie is an incredibly smart, talented, empowering young woman, and honestly, a great friend of both of us. So we're super excited to have her today, and we'll go in a little bit more as we start the episode as to why she's so incredible, and you'll be able to hear from her and learn from her as we did. So today we talk about intersectional feminism, our own experiences with sexism, and we also talk a little bit about rape culture and sexual harassment. So we do want to throw up a quick trigger warning that if rape culture, sexual harassment, and sexual violence, if they aren't comfortable topics for you to listen to right now, please feel free to click away. But otherwise, we're so, so happy to have you here joining us, and we're really excited to get into the episode. Exactly. And if you enjoy, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And that's all we have to say. are back and today we have an extremely special guest my housemate and good friend Angie Antonio so Angie is a neuroscience student at Western University we met in first year and basically she is an amazing woman she is was the president of the Black Students Association at Western University last year And on top of that, she also won a BIPOC Student Leader Award this past year for all her dedication and hard work. She is an amazing person, and we're so, so excited to have her here to talk about intersectional feminism with us. So Angie, do you want to say hello and introduce yourself a little more? Yeah, so hi everyone. My name is Angie, like Grace said, and I'm going into my final year of neuroscience at Western. Um, I've actually known Grace since first year, and we're actually housemates. And this girl is such a blessing in my life. Like, I was so happy when she said that she was starting the podcast because literally all the gems that she gives me, I'm just so excited to have other people having those gems as well. So super, super happy to be here. And Julia, I've known Julia since second year. And this girl is literally a genius. She's a fashion icon as well. Like, she'll walk into class and everyone will be like, where'd you get your outfit from? So I'm just so happy to be in the presence of these wonderful ladies And I'm super excited for this conversation as well. Oh my gosh, us too, for sure. Um, So maybe we can get started and kind of dive into the topic. And we can start off with why we are feminists. And maybe tie it into a little bit, like, why specifically we would say we're, like, we believe in intersectional feminism. Yeah, so Grace, do you want to get us started? For sure. So... I'm a feminist because I believe ultimately in equality and that is what being a feminist means. It means that you believe in equality for everyone. And so I really just want women to be able to enter into a classroom or a workplace and be treated as equals in comparison to their male counterparts. And the reason I think I'm a feminist is because I've had personal experiences as well as experiences I've heard from my friends that they've had experiences where they have not been treated as equals and I'm a feminist because I really want that to stop happening. Angie what about you? Yeah so 
like you, I've had very personal experiences with, um, you know, having to be in a place where I had been looked down upon because I'm a woman and especially because I'm a black woman as well. That's also something, you know, we'll talk about a little later with intersectional feminism, but ultimately feminism is about equality of sexes. And sometimes it gets mistaken for we're pushing for women being above men and we're trying to put men down. But really and truly, it's just things that women have oftentimes historically been denied rights to. So that's reproductive rights, suffrage, um, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and whatnot. So in me being a feminist, society definitely deems myself, a Black woman, as being less valuable than someone like a white male. I'm not going to allow society to make that my value when that's not who I am. So that's why I am a feminist. I really want to um, see the equality of individuals who look like me and who are like me as well. Incredible. Yeah, you both summed it up so well. Um, I feel the same way. I think, yeah, like you said, I'm a feminist because I think that everybody should have equal opportunity and freedom from oppression based on their gender. And I also think that one of the things that I've try to be mindful of and I is that like feminism is not a destination it's not like oh I'm a feminist now everything is fine it's kind of like I'm a feminist with the end goal of mm -hmm. equality like true equality okay so history of feminism so basically, in 1848, that is when the first wave of feminism began. And this is sort of the suffragette movement when, we've, when women were really fighting for the right to vote. And in the beginning, the feminist movement was actually really strongly aligned with the abolitionist movement. However, it became a movement that was extremely exclusionary and did not include black women and was exclusively for white women. And they actually used racism to fuel their fight because the 15th Amendment allowed black men the right to vote. And so white women were outraged by this and used their racism to say, well, if a black man is being given the right to vote, why aren't we as white, well-educated, wealthy women? So racism was actually used ultimately to fuel the first wave feminist movement, and it was exclusionary towards black women. So essentially, um, in 1920, the 19th Amendment was passed and in theory, it allowed women of all races to vote, but it made it extremely difficult for black women and other, other women of color to vote um, because it included things like poll taxes, grandfather clauses, literacy tests, and then there was also a lot of violence and lynching that was occurring around voting sites to prevent black people from exercising their right to vote. So that is why it was such an exclusionary uh exclusionary movement the 19th amendment didn't really give all women the right to vote it was essentially only safe and accessible for white women to vote so then second wave basically it began with betty Friedan, who created a novel called the feminine mystique she talked about systemic sexism and gender roles and essentially this book was just passed around to a lot of different women and they all were reading this and, and thinking, yeah, this is true. Like, I don't really want to stay at home and just cook and clean all day. That's just not what I want to do. And then so 
big component of the second wave of feminism was the Equal Pay Act of 1963, which was put in place to theoretically close the wage gap, but we know that there are still some issues with the wage gap. It was also a big component of the second wave was to raise awareness about marital rape, domestic violence, and sexual harassment in the workplace and to try and end those things. And then from this wave emerged sort of the ideal of women as angry feminists. So the Reagan administration came in and they sort of dismissed feminists of the era as not really fighting over anything important and just being man-haters and, you know, feminists were sort of depicted as like they dressed masculine, they dressed in a masculine way and they just hated all men and it gave feminists a really bad rap. And then so third wave in present day, it's kind of murky on when it started, but Essentially, some of the really important components of third wave feminism and current feminism is intersectionality, um, really strongly trying to empower women to move into leadership positions, as we've seen women in leadership positions more than ever before. Also, the hashtag MeToo movement, which was used to sort of uh, empower women to talk about uh, sexual violence that they'd experienced at the hands of men in leadership positions. And really we've seen a lot of men being held accountable for their behavior, especially men who have uh, committed sexual violence or sexual harassment when they are in positions of power. Um, another really prominent hashtag that came out of this current movement is hashtag yes all women. And essentially that hashtag was designed to sort of propel the idea that because men are always, men will, will often say, well, it's not all men. It's not me. I'm not the one, I'm not the one ra be raping girls. I'm not the one sexually harassing women in the workplace. But yes, it's all women. Like all women have had mm. an experience. All women know other girls who've had an experience like that. So that was another really great hashtag. And I think a really important part of third wave and present day feminism is that a lot of it has been occurring online we have big platforms now social media where that this is where a lot of these movements are, are happening as you can see with the hashtags that have been involved so that's a very brief history of uh first second third wave present day feminism i'm definitely not an expert and we'll link some stuff in the description for you to like further read up, up on that but yeah just a few interesting notes there and also a quick fun fact so the word suffragette was actually used in the in the early like 1840s when this whole movement was happening, first wave feminism. It was actually used as an insult towards women who were fighting for the right to vote. It was actually meant, it essentially meant nasty woman to be called a suffragette mm. because you were fighting for your right to vote. Um, and then now it's become a term to mean, you know, fighting for the right to vote and it's an empowering term. But yeah, originally it was uh -huh. an insult. So fun fact mm -hmm. there. Okay, perfect. So that was super interesting, Grace. I'll get started with a really brief kind of overview of intersectional feminism. So when we did the poll on our Instagram story, we asked you all if you were familiar with the term intersectional feminism. 59% of you said yes, but 41% said no. And we also have a following that is quite um, like a lot of women, a lot of like more liberal women. So I think there are a lot of people who don't know the term intersectional feminism, and that's why we want to do a bit of a breakdown. So intersectional feminism is a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. She was an American law professor and basically she saw intersectional feminism as a prism for seeing the ways in which various forms of inequality can operate together and exacerbate each other. And that is a direct quote. 
basically she saw that all inequality was not created equal that we have identities that intersect to basically create various levels of oppression um so intersectional feminism really involves recognizing historical inequality and understanding that not all individuals are impacted equally by various events so like as an example, the disparity in reproductive health care might, well, not might, impacts Black women a lot more than it impacts white women. So it's just recognizing that discrepancy in identity and how it might impact the experiences of those individuals. Um, and intersectional feminism kind of provides a contrast to what's referred to as white feminism. And obviously white feminism originated from the feminism that was exclusionary, that was exercised by a lot of white women, but white feminism can kind of be conducted by a lot of different like honestly anybody of any race it just means that your feminist your feminism is exclusionary and it really is only feminism when it's comfortable for you to exercise those or that belief system i wanted to add to what you were saying and i really loved the point that you brought up about not all inequalities are created equal and oftentimes we separate race inequality from gender inequality class sexuality or nationality and other demographics that can ensue inequalities and social stratification. But intersectional feminism really just centers the voices of those experiencing overlapping forms of oppression, like those demographics I mentioned. But this, um, this looking at intersectional femina feminism helps with understanding the depths of all those inequalities and the relationships that exist so that in any given context, we can properly look at um, those disparities, right? So like you mentioned, reproductive health and how Black women are more disproportionately affected, Black women and women of color are more disproportionately affected than white women. And also, um, I wanted to also add that the dialogue of feminism, yeah, has usually been created by white women. And an example of something that recently happened that was kind of popular in the media was Lana Del Rey and what she said last year. So not 100% sure on what she was trying to say, but basically she was comparing herself to the likes of Nicki Minaj, Beyonce, Kim Bayo, Ariana, other women of color, basically stating that, you know, they're becoming number one, their, their tracks are going number one because they're talking about sexualizing themselves, they're talking about, you know, um, stealing money, all that kind of stuff. But what she was saying was that I don't understand why I, who, who I'm just trying to be myself, like why I'm not number one. And basically she's getting, she was getting critique for glamorizing abuse. But her response to that was that I wish there was a space in feminism for people who look and act like me. So basically like trying to say that the people, the women who, who were getting number ones weren't really experiencing any, the same sort of hate that she was also experiencing. Now, I don't think her um, her intention was to like belittle those women, and I don't think she was directly trying to compare herself with women of color, but she just failed to see that even the fact that she may be getting abused for what she's saying, these women, who are women of color, have to also deal with that on top of the fact that they, they have color in their skin, right? So oftentimes, like, you know, quote-unquote white feminists, often overlook, you know, the effects of being black or race, the effects of um, sexuality, and just different, um, different aspects that also affect, like, how people see you as well. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think 
I think that's why where there can be a lot of issues in feminism is when women stop seeing it as kind of like quote unquote like a sisterhood like we should all be wanting equality and wanting to lift each other up but oftentimes people can kind of get to the point where their their own personal interests get in the way mm-hmm. of their feminism and that is sometimes I think when we see like like Rachel Cargill one thing that I wrote down that I really liked was Rachel Cargill said white feminism can sometimes be white supremacy in heels and I think it really is like your internal biases become clear when you face adversity if you're not um, fighting for all women and you just begin to fight for yourself. Okay, so maybe we can get into some of our experiences with feminism and maybe some experiences we've had with sexism or misogyny or discrimination based on our gender. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about some sexism that I actually experienced recently. So like I mentioned, I was the president, or like Grace mentioned earlier, I was the president of um, the BSA at Western. And BSA is about supporting Black students and just bettering the Black experience on campus through advocacy and different means. And, you know, we had a great team. We've always, we always have a great team. But obviously, not every team is going to get along the way you would like it people to get along. And I remember I was going through this, this stage where I had to really deal with a lot of difficult people and just people I didn't agree with on a lot of things. But obviously as a team, you have to hear their point of view. And as a leader, I can't just dismiss what they're saying. So yeah, there's this one, one male on my team who basically was upset because I was telling him to do his job. Like he didn't get something in on time and it upset him that I called him out on it. And I actually called him out on other things too that I had let slide. But at this point it was building up and it was becoming super, super disrespectful. So I called him out on it. In calling him out, he proceeded to call me a dictator and say that I stress way too much, that I need to quote unquote chill. And let me just tell you, if someone tells me to chill, I, it just aired the way my blood was just boiling when he was speaking to me, but basically telling me to chill that, you know, I am too emotional. I'm too sensitive to things like, you know, like stop, stop doing all that. So, you know, me being me got a bit emotional. I did get a really, really upset about it, but, um, you know, having dealt, having to deal with that, it did make me really doubt my own leadership, but this guy was really just... I don't want to say speaking on his own insecurities, but let's just say like having talked to other members of my team, I had to realize this was a him thing as well as like him trying to put me down because I was younger than him also because I was a woman too. And like, he just didn't respect me in the sense that I could be able to give um, good critique because I called him out on something. Right. So then he went then to go bash Mm -hmm. like my, the, the fact that I'm emotional or he wanted to pit that against me. And oftentimes we see that in different spaces. Like when you disagree with someone, a guy on something, usually they resort to saying you need to chill or you're too emotional. And even in relationships, like you can be dating someone and you can disagree with them. And the guy will just be like, oh, it's because you're too sensitive. You know, like stuff like yeah. these things and these experiences, when it happens, you don't see it as that. But when you really sit down and deep it and look back at it later and you're like, why, why am I allowing this to happen to me? Or why am I just sitting there and not speaking back? 
I know in that experience with um, mm-hmm. the guy on my team, I at first didn't want to say anything. I wanted to just let it go. And like, you know, I didn't want to be that angry black woman that would get mad at him. And then he would, you know, reinforce what he already thought about me. So at first I didn't say anything. But after talking to some other individuals on my team, like I had to really address him. And I talked about how I felt like he was gaslighting me. And he said, no, no, that wasn't his intention. And that's what they all say. That's not their intention. That's not what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. But it is what's happening. And I just think it's really important to be able to call out guys on this. Because after I said things to him, like, we didn't have this problem again. I honestly didn't really speak to him that much. But the problem wasn't there anymore. But, you know, when women tend to speak up or when someone when a, someone looks at you as less than them, they, they discredit what you have to say or your leadership or your experiences and they try and minimize them to fit their own their own experiences into that and how it makes them feel because mm-hmm. it's all about them right they they look at things like you yeah. know they're the one they're the victims they're going through this and yeah you may be quote unquote the victim but also understand that what i say has value too you know not just dismissing me so yeah that was a very mm-hmm. it was a difficult experience and i've had lots of different minor things that have happened that I've just thought like damn like why'd you have to shush me or why'd you just this um why'd you just discredit what I just said you know like a lot of different experiences like that and it's it's really hard to to get up from that because you know when I first when that guy first spoke to me I was really upset and I was literally like I don't think I should be president anymore you know I'm really doubting my I'm a leader my leadership skills and that really affected me throughout the whole year, you know, just thinking like, oh my gosh, what's this person going to think of me if I make this decision? And it, it's hard because mm-hmm. that's just a society that we live in. We often look up to men to be that um, reference group for us, that golden standard that we have to, to get oh, completely. to. Completely. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I mm-hmm. just have to say, when a guy tells me to chill, I swear to God, I've never had <laughs> my female friends tell me to chill. Like, they've never done that. If I'm, like, up heated about something, like, no. they've never done that. But, you know, I'll maybe be, like, a little bit heated about something or I'll just be, I'll, I'll like, criticize a guy, something that, you know, a male colleague has done or something like that. And when they hit me with the chill, it's like, no, no, like, I was chill. Like, I was chill. Now, I'm not. Exactly. Now, I'm yeah. ready to commit murder. I'm seeing red. Like, exactly why are you telling me to chill yeah and I think also a lot of times not all times but I think a lot of times chill is used as uh almost a I don't have anything to say back to you so I'm just gonna tell you to calm down (laughs) to shut down the situation just be like calm chill it's not that it's not that big of a deal (laughs) calm down it's honestly just like I don't have anything to say back to you so I'm just gonna like you're fine stop being dramatic like basically that (laughs) it is the Chill is literally the most mm-hmm. gaslighty way to yeah. like counter somebody's argument because you're saying to them, oh, it's not that deep. Yeah. Like it's not that deep. Chill. Like you're reading into it. You're reading yeah. into it. You're overreacting. Right. So then it invalidates like the way that you feel. It makes you feel like you're overreacting. Like, oh, it aggravates me so much. And I totally resonate with you, Angie. Like I've had, I've had like male colleagues, I've had male friends say that to me and it's just like please do not, please do not say chill. It's just so demeaning. Like imagine if you were getting like all heated up about your like call of duty. And I was like, (laughs) chill, (laughs) chill. No, seriously. If I said chill to you, yeah. You would be like, what the fuck? So anyhow, 
Can I yeah, add something in is... quickly? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. So I was going to say another really interesting thing, you, it's like from that analogy, is the criticism of your character. Like, I feel like a lot of times, um, this kind of happens in a lot of arguments where somebody disagrees with you and they start attacking your character, which is called straw manning. So all of a sudden, so you have this argument, this conflict, but then they're going past the conflict and criticizing your character. And that's something I see a lot with women, especially in politics, like with Hillary Clinton as an example, or like, uh, clearly not well-versed on politics, but let's use Hillary Clinton as an example. Basically, she would make a comment about a political belief, or you see this a lot with women um, fighting for the right to choose to have an abortion, where men start to criticize their character and they start to say that they're angry or they're dramatic when really they sh like the conflict is about the issue of whether there should be a certain policy put in place or whether women should have the right to choose what happens with their bodies. Like, um, and I think that oftentimes makes it really difficult for women in the public sphere to be respect, kind of to gain respect and to progress in their careers because they are constantly being criticized as an individual rather than criticized on their initiatives. So I was on Instagram last night and I came across this girl on her story and she was talking about how she wanted people to tell her some of the red flags that she sees, that people see in her um, in pursuing a relationship with her. And one guy responded basically by saying that she is too much of a social justice warrior. She's too much on this angry feminism vibe. She's too much on, she's not willing to cook for her husband and things like that. So, you know, sometimes even in myself, I do get worried sometimes that if I post too much or if I talk or speak too much on things that people are going to look at me differently, specifically men, right? And, you know... At least for me, I I do look at what I put out there when I'm looking at a, a romantic partner and things like that. And sometimes I stress that, oh my gosh, what if this guy is going to think that I hate all men and that because I'm speaking on certain issues that he's going to look down on me. And how I how the term that I used to say to some of my friends is like, what if my market price goes down by speaking out mm. about these things and being a feminist and believing, yeah. in, in, believing in the equality of all people? So it's just very interesting to hear um, how it's very interesting to see this stuff like being put out there just in like everyday context, because especially with relationships and the idea of feminism, you know, when we look at those disparities and how um, even how money comes in, right? Usually the men are the breadwinners and women are the ones yeah. who stay at home. They're the nurturers or the one who they're supposed to stay at home and cook for you. Right. But uh, like now today, what we're seeing and with how society is moving forward like, people aren't trying to do that anymore. Like, that's not really the wave that people are on. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see the response from a, very, a lot of men from that, right? A lot of men are saying that, you know, you're just you're just putting out this, this image that's not good. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of what that story was trying to talk about as yeah, well. Yeah, and uh, I think we need to remember too, and I see this a lot with my female friends, is women are constantly or a lot of women are constantly assessing their behaviors and kind of stipulating what men will think of them. Um, when, and something I try to remind myself of is that, say feminism is something that's really important to me. If a guy is deterred by me talking about feminism publicly, 
then he's probably not the type of person that I want to even be in a romantic relationship with. And I remember, yeah, like being in um, like first and second year of university. And I remember a few times I said to some of my male friends, um, I would not like I would ideally want a romantic partner who would consider themselves a feminist as well and who would think feminism and like various social justice issues are important. And I had quite a few of my male friends say to me and even my female friends say to me, like, that's ridiculous. Like you can't like that's such a high standard. You can't be expecting that in men like you're not going to find that. Um, but I just think that really, like, you will find somebody whose values align with you, and not specifically you, Angie, but just in general, like, you will ever, like, it is possible to find somebody who aligns with the values that you hold really close to your heart. Yeah. Totally. And I think the angry feminist thing is such an important thing to bring up, because I know a lot of, I have a lot of female friends who are maybe afraid to outrightly state that they're a feminist because of this reputation of, well, feminists are angry, feminists are man-haters, and that's really not what it is at all. But just because if, if, I, if I sit here and I criticize the actions of men around me or men globally, doesn't mean I hate men. It means that I have the right, I have free speech, and I have the right to criticize the actions of men without being labeled as a man-hater or an angry feminist. But I can talk about things and get passionate about things, you know? And I think that's so, so disappointing that, the, that a male was saying a red flag was the fact that this woman believed in equality, believed in just being a feminist and fighting for the rights of women. And I think I do agree with you, um, Julia, that it is really damaging to have men out there that are saying that being a feminist is a red flag. But also, like, as a feminist, if a guy uh-huh. is saying that, okay, uh-huh. bye, canceled. Like, you don't want to be with that person. You don't want to be with someone like that because, sorry, like, if you're anti-feminism uh-huh. as a man, you're just a misogynist. <laughs> yeah. Like, you are. You are. Like, sorry, it is just, it's really frustrating to me, and this happens so often, that women are just stating their experiences. They're saying, this is the world we live in. We're afraid to walk down the street at night. We're afraid, like rape culture is real. Like this is, you know, we're not getting recognition in the workplace. We don't feel seen. Women are talking about their experiences and people are just dismissing it, right? And to say, oh, you're overreacting. You're, it's it's too much. Like it's so invalidating to the experiences of women. And really, if you aren't in the shoes of, of a female, how can you really speak to that and say like you're not allowed to be you're not you're like feminists are it's irrelevant like it's unimportant that sort of thing yeah and I think that applies really well to the quote I don't remember what it is exactly I'll paraphrase it and then cite it in the episode description but I forget who said it but equality feels like oppression when you've had when you've been on a pedestal for so long and I think that as um we continue to move towards more equality for women, more equality for individuals with different like races and sexualities and classes. I think people who are so used to having those privileges, like stereotypically the white male, it feels like oppression when your privilege is taken away in order to redistribute the like those opportunities or that wealth. That's real. Yeah. Yeah, I love that quote. Uh, Yeah, that's a really good quote. And I wanted to also add that, I can't remember who said it either, but I I saw this other quote that no one is free until everyone is free. And specifically just talking 
this is in the context of BLM and Black Lives Matter. So often, obviously, I'm sure most of people most people have heard of the tragic occurrence that happened last May with George Floyd and how you know thousands of Black individuals are being um, oppressed by police or oppressed by institutionalized racism and specifically police, police brutality. But there was another hashtag that was actually formed um, to also remember the women that have to go through you know police brutality but are often forgotten. So women like. Um, Breonna Taylor, um, Atiana Jefferson, Sandra Bland, and um, so on. But the hashtag was hashtag say her name. And basically just speaking on the fact that even though, you know, we do see this racial inequality, people are forgetting that women actually still exist and women are honestly still going through these inequalities as well. And, you know, I keep seeing things like protect black men. And though that is important, and though there are um, disparities that exist between black women and black men, what about the black um, female community, right? What about the black queer community? Like oftentimes we overlook that to look at who is, who is more like the majority, right? That's affected. But we forget about those other groups that exist too that also intersect with being black as well. So yeah, I just thought I wanted to bring that up as well. I think that's a really a great thing to also remember. I think I, I briefly brought this up to Julia and Angie in our preliminary call, but I think it'll still make you angry. And so essentially, this year I attended business school at Western and honestly, overall, really great experience. I loved all of my classmates, but there was a particular situation in which I discovered that a, a guy in this in sort of the year that I'm in was essentially sent out in a group chat a poll um, asking other guys other males in the male only group chat to rate females in the class so to rank us and to say well who's who's the hottest girl in our class who's the hottest girl in our year and a, a male friend of mine told me about this and I was so, so, so upset because I just felt like I, I didn't come here to satisfy the male gaze. I didn't come here to be judged on whether or not I'm attractive to you or not. I came here to be treated as an equal. I came here to learn how to become a business leader just like you did. And the fact that you think it's appropriate to rank the women in, in my section, in my class, who are just looking for that same thing. We're here to learn. We're here to be, become educated. And we're not here to satisfy your gaze, to be ranked by you. It's just so disrespectful. And this, this type of ranking women, this is happening all over, the, like all over the place. Like I was looking through one of the Instagram accounts um, that is actually like about my my business school is Ivy at the Margins, and you can go through that that entire Instagram account and you will see countless and countless articles and and quotes from students who have gone, who are like alumni of Ivy, and a similar thing. I was scrolling through and another another girl was saying that at a trip that they had gone on. Um, the guys were all in a hotel room 
ranking the girls in the section and in the year. And it's just so wrong because never did it occur to, to our, we have a female group chat. We never were sitting there ranking the, the guys in our section ever, ever. It's, it's just so wrong. And yeah, I, I'm angry. Like I'm angry about it still. But yeah, I don't know, Angie and Julia, if either, either of you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I just want to talk about the fact that, first of all, yeah, that does make me angry. Um, and I think that only serves to perpetuate the male gaze that a lot of women experience, which you mentioned before. And I mentioned this in the previous episode, but there's a book called Beyond Beautiful. And in that book, she, the author references some research that says, in a state of self-consciousness about their bodies, women perform worse on math tests, logical reasoning, and athletic activities, etc. So I think... Not only is that damaging to the, like, confidence or, you know, yeah, like, confidence of women, but judging women based on their appearance results in women becoming more self-conscious, which then results in them performing worse. And I think that is extremely unfair to do in an academic program like Ivy that is so competitive. Um, Because, yeah, first of all, it is horrible for the self-confidence of those women. And also, why are we pitting women against each other? Like... That is another part of it I don't like. And then also, yeah, it is likely influencing the experiences and the performance of those women because they're sitting there in class, not listening to what the professor's saying, but thinking of how they look right now on Zoom or how they look right now, mm-hmm. you know, like what they're wearing right now. You know, I was going to add that all men have is audacity. I actually cannot believe the fact that they they believed, they thought that um, it was okay to openly, in a group chat of maybe 100 plus, talk about women so openly right and like you said the girls group chat never did that like why did they feel like that was okay and no one would call them out because girls wouldn't would never do that and even if they did it wouldn't be in such a group chat that was so big that you know someone would come for them in but the fact that the men would do that in 100 people with a group chat with 100 plus people just shows that they don't care they don't care what anyone wants to think about them but women they they take that into account they 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 say that okay, even if we were to rank the men, I know someone's going to tell a guy and, and how's that going to make me look, right? They think about things like that so much more than men do. So it is, I honestly find that it's, it makes me really angry to hear that as well. But it's just like, men just have audacity. Like they think that they can get away with certain things and um, no one's going to call them out for it. And Grace, did you talk to mm-hmm. any of those, those guys? Like, did you, what did you say in response to when you heard that? So one, my male friend told me this and I was really angry and I expressed this anger to him and he, he was like, yeah, yeah, like I get it. But like, I don't think he quite understood why I was so angry. Like he didn't, he was like, yeah, it's bad. But Mm. like, you know, yeah, like what, you know, like it was sort of that sort of thing of like, yeah, it's bad, but like, eh. And I just don't think he understood, right? Like nothing against him. He's a great guy, but he, I just don't think he understood. And, and I'd asked him, I never addressed it with the individual who I know specifically sent out that, that pool because it honestly, like I was trying to like protect the male, my male friends who had told me about it, but I never addressed it with him. Um, and I think what had gone on in that group chat is none of the other, uh, none of the other guys had actually participated in the ranking except for the guy who originally sent out the message but none of them called him out either Mm -hmm. 
they sort of shifted the conversation and like made a joke about calling one of the other guys in like they added like a, a guy's name to the poll that was in the group chat as a joke sort of thing and then they all started voting and but nobody like said hey we probably shouldn't be doing this this is kind of disrespectful to like our female colleagues who we should be treating as equals so what are you going to head into the workplace and do that exact same thing you know coffee you're going to sit in you're going to sit on your lunch break and your coffee break and you're going to rank the attractiveness of the women in your office like that is not okay. Yeah, I, I didn't address it with the original poster, but I think in that situation, it was sort of on the, on the men. And I mean, disagree with me, but it was sort of on the men that were in that group chat to call that person out. I agree. And I know that they did on other occasions when that person had made, had said something that was like actually like anti-Semitic anti and then, but like they didn't say anything when it was something that was sort of sexist. Yeah. Completely they like sexist. to pick and choose their battles, right? And they don't hold yeah, other men absolutely. accountable at all. I've seen that in so many situations that a guy will say something, but all their friends will keep quiet. Like, even with rape culture, right? Like, a guy can sexually totally. harass a girl, but none of his friends will call him out on anything because they don't want to be seen as, like... They don't just, they don't want to say anything because it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I feel bad for what happened to her, but, like, what am I going to do? You can talk to your friend, you know? You can yep. do that. Yeah. You can say something. Yeah, you and can say that's something you can speak up. And that's so important because I can, you know, I Grace could have spoken to the guy that posted that poll, but I think he really would have maybe resonated more if he would have heard it from his male colleagues. Um because I think yeah, sometimes men hear women criticize them especially in issues of sexism and they think like oh, she's just being dramatic or oh, she's just an angry feminist, but I think really um that speaks to the importance of kind of like having tough conversations with the individuals in your social circles, mm -hmm. like regardless of what the issue is. Like it's not just enough to sit there and change the topic. Like you need to address that it's a problem. Mm -hmm. I think one really, I think one really good quote that I think sort of describes rape culture and sort of the issue of, of sexism and the, and the fact that why feminism still needs to be here because I think a lot of men will argue that it isn't, or they'll argue that something like ranking girls isn't harmful. Mm -hmm. The reason that it is, is it's because when a, when a guy walks into a room full of girls, he's in heaven. But when a girl walks into a room full of guys, just her room full of guys, she feels unsafe. Yeah. She feels unsafe. And it's harmful like it is harmful to be ranking women in this way and this is happening in schools across across the country and you know another tidbit like really small experience that I had but I had a dress code in elementary school and the reason that we had to cover up as women the there was no dress code implemented on the men but the young girls in my elementary school were told that we had to have shorts that were past our mid-thigh and we had to wear, um, we had to always have sleeves on. Well, the bet the boys could wear sleeve sleeveless shirts. And I mean, of course, we also couldn't show our cleavage as well. Um, and essentially, the reason that they gave home when they sent home our, a paper with our parents was that it's distracting to the boys in the classroom if our shoulders are showing, if our cleavage is showing, if we're showing too much skin on our legs. So at that early age, you're already being taught as a young woman that your body is being looked at by men, being judged by men, being, and you have to cover up or, you know, hide parts of yourself 
because men can't control themselves. That is mm-hmm. rape culture. That is rape culture to say that it is on women to dress in a certain way and cover up in order to not distract men or, you know, not, you know, they can't control, they can't control their innate animal desires. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that is rape culture. And, and I think like, this is what I'm saying, like these little things, these like dress codes and, um, and a man and, you know, men ranking women, like it serves to add to this idea that you are, you exist to satisfy the male gaze. One thing I remember a lot was as a young girl experiencing kind of like everyday sexism in the classroom, like having um big example, like when we learned about sex ed, the girls and the boys were separated and the boys learned about like masturbation and sex and we learned about um, periods and like not really much else. And I think as a woman in the classroom, I think oftentimes, um, like, we're not afforded the same, we're not consistently afforded the same respect as male students. Like, for example, in gym class, as an elementary school student, um, oftentimes teachers would make comments about, like, you know, the guys being, like, better at girls than sports, at better at girl, better than girls at sports, or even, um, yeah, like in the classroom, maybe like guys being stronger at certain subjects. And I think those were really statements and values that I saw mirrored in my male classmates to the point where then I would get comments, yeah, about like girls not being good at sports or girls not being good at math or girls not being like really capable as capable as boys were. And those were messages that I heard and internalized probably before grade five and I think that is definitely something that I don't, I don't really believe now that I'm like less capable than a man, but I think that is something that when I was younger, I really internalized and then had to kind of work to, yeah, just kind of work through. Mm -hmm. And it also influences the way you see your female counterparts, right? Because if that's how you're seeing yourself, then of course you're going to see your female counterparts as being like less than as well. And then all of a sudden, not only are the boys discriminating against the girls, but the girls are also discriminating against the girls and each other. Yeah. Which I think is incredibly... Internalized misogyny. Yeah, which is so harmful, especially at such a young age. I wanted to also add, just um, like kind of speaking more on the male gaze and rape culture as well. You know, when a woman goes to sexual harassment, they always want to blame her. Like, what was she wearing? Why was she walking home at, at night? And, you know, as you were speaking about, um, you know, when you were younger, they perpetuated those um, ideals. Even my my mom, I remember, like, we used to go to parties and she'd always say, like, make sure you don't sit on any uncle's lap. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to excite him. And, or you don't want to, just make sure you're not alone with any of the uncles. Make sure what you're wearing is not, you know, above your knees and stuff like that. And it's just so yeah. crazy because we, all, like, like you said, like, sometimes there's the internalized misogyny. And when I was a lot younger and I would see stories of women going through sexual abuse, first thing in my head was like, oh my gosh, what was she wearing? That was the first thing in my head, right? But as I yeah. like grew, grew up and obviously like being a woman and, you know, having my own experiences too, like you really have to understand that <laughs> everything in this life is so catered towards men that a mm-hmm. woman just choosing to wear something is such a big deal for you. 
Like, why are my shoulders yeah. make? Can't, why can't you concentrate with my shoulders? I can't concentrate with your shoulders. Like, what is it about me? And what is it about me being a, a woman that's so? Oh my gosh! Like, if you if you show any part of your body, I it's it's all over. I can't control myself. Like, it, it's just so yeah. it's so sad because you know, like when I was young, that was the, even from my mother. This is what was said to me, right? And it wasn't in a way to to um to propel like misogyny at all that wasn't what she was trying to do but Mm -hmm. that's just what has been like ingrained in society that we as women have to do things to satisfy men or else you know their carnal instincts will come and take over them and they'll they'll hurt us you know so it's just it's just so crazy yeah one thing i that just occurred to me is um yeah it is so funny how um dress codes are enforced or certain kind of like women are i guess like kind of told to behave in certain ways to avoid distracting men when telling women that their bodies are going to be seen as like an object or that what they wear is maybe potentially something that could get them in trouble then distracts women so ultimately like women are distracted and yeah I think it really speaks to the big issue of like this is just a a massive issue that needs to be systemically addressed at the level of, like, of the male students or of the male employees. Like, really, this is something, and I know it is something that's covered in a lot of, like, equity training, and it's covered more and more in the classroom, but I think it's something that needs to be enforced and really needs to be addressed at a, a really, like, large scale. I remember like being in high school and I went to a party for the first time and like I was in like leggings and like a crop top or something and like you know like I didn't usually dress like that because we had uniforms but it's like I should be able to wear what I want to wear and one of the guys at the party like smacked my ass as I was walking by him. Yeah that again like when you're in the club and a man touches you like without your permission which is like 99% of the time like that just... Oh, it makes me feel so disgusting. No, it happens so many times. Like, I remember... It's actually crazy. Like, that happened to me as well. And I just remember, like, how it happened was I was by the speaker, and this guy just slapped me in my butt. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I turned around. Guy and his friends were laughing. And what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm so scared. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where my friends are. And you felt like you could violate me. It's actually crazy. Oh, it's so wrong. Like... I, one time I was at this like big, big festival. Um, and it was actually for the Croatian world. It was for the world cup a couple of years back and I'm Croatian and like Croatia like was in this, was in the finals and it was like this huge thing. So there was this big like party in Streetsville park in Mississauga. And it was like all the Croatians like celebrating this game. And at the end we lost the game, but at the end there was like this big crowd, like everybody was cheering and it looked like so much fun. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I want to like go in and like go into this crowd and like cheer. And so I went in and I was like cheering. I was like having a great time. And then as I was ready to walk out, um, this honestly old man, like probably 35 years old, like old and old for me, considering I was 16 years old at the time, he was walking by me and I was wearing like white jean shorts and like a, a red tube top um, for like Croatia, like literally their colors. And I was walking by him and he literally like reached his hand behind me and like pretty much like went underneath my shorts and grabbed my butt and I turned around he disappeared into the crowd 
I felt so violated. I felt so disgusted. I felt so wronged. And I walked out of the the crowd like traumatized. And I told my dad and my cousin who was with me. And my dad was like super pissed off. Like he was like ready to like find this guy and like punch him out. And my female cousin, she said to me, yeah, well, you shouldn't have gone into the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, you should have just, like, catered your life to what could happen in any situation that would make you feel unsafe and just not do anything fun or, like, yeah. Yeah. You should have not been wearing those jean shorts. You should have not gone into the crowd. You should have not gone into the club. You shouldn't have been walking alone that late at night. It's, like, these... This is real. Like this is rape culture is real. And blaming like blaming the victim, mm-hmm. blaming blaming women. This is real. This is a real thing that's happening. And like this is why feminism matters. So now that we've had that great discussion, we're going to be going into some of the resources that we recommend and some of the things that we think we can all do to be better allies to women, especially women of color and trans women. Um, So I'll start off by recommending some resources that I really like. And those are Rachel Cargill. She has a really amazing Instagram page. She also writes incredible articles. She's super well-spoken. She uses really clear and concise language that is really easy for everyone to understand. She also uses a lot of excellent analogies. So like if she's explaining something that people may find complex or this is the first time they've, you know, experienced it. Um, She offers really good analogies for you to understand. Um, There's also Roxane Gay who wrote the book Bad Feminist and she talks a lot about being a black woman, also being a woman who is classified as obese and how that has resulted in a lot of discrimination for her. And then the third one I want to recommend is Jamila Jamil, specifically her iWay podcast, which you might have seen us share on the Instagram story. She is amazing. She can be crude sometimes, but she's so straightforward and passionate about women's issues like abortion and just general like just general equality. She also has a lot of amazing guests like um, like Laurie Steinem, who's another amazing feminist. Totally. Uh, Jamila Jamil is amazing. Mm-hmm. I listened to her episode with Roxanne Gay and Gloria Steinem and Demi Lovato. I've honestly just been like binge listening to her podcast because it's so, so great. But yeah, those are all really great um, women that you mentioned. So the two resources and lovely modern day feminists that I'm going to mention are Florence Given and Chidera Egru. So they're both feminists who have written novels that are really, I think, accessible, fun to read, um, and just like a really great introduction into feminism. And the thing that I really love about Chidera Egru's writing is she's talks a lot about loving yourself enough that you don't need the validation of others. And I think as women, I think that's such a really, like a really important lesson because, you know, it's, you know, you're raised in a society where you've been taught that you exist to satisfy the male gaze. And Chidera Egger does a really great job of sort of talking about why you are enough as you are and you don't need that, that validation from, from others. So yeah, those are my two recommendations and I will link their Instagrams in the description. Angie, do you have any recs for us? Yeah, so um, I'm actually going to recommend TED Talks. So there's two that really um, touched me and I really, really love. So the first one is by Tarana Burke, who was the founder of the Me Too movement, um, just speaking on why it's more than just a movement. 
And also my all-time favorite author, Chiamanda Ngozi Adichie. I guys, if you if you don't know her, you should know her because her books are just amazing. But she actually did a TED talk on why we should all be feminists, and she has a book uh, also that um, just summarizes what she said in her in her talk as well. But she talks about growing up in Nigeria and how it affected her life and why. And she stresses the importance of feminism being equality between the sexes, not really pitting them against each other. And also I have a podcast as well that, that's my favorite podcast. Um, it's called To Our Sisters. And um, two women, Corinne Daniela and Renee, really just talk about, you know, their experiences being black women and how that's affected and how, you know, different things in adulthood, you know, um, relationships and whatnot. But, you know, they speak from a female gaze. And I just really love how they they're always trying to put women for it. They're not really focused so much on the male gaze. They talk about how it does affect them, but in and of itself, it's it's really, I, I found it very empowering. Incredible. Okay, so we'll link all those in the episode description, and maybe we can get into a little bit about allyship in just, um, I guess, like, how we can all support the feminist movement and maybe specifically how people that may not see themselves as feminists, like some, maybe some of the men in our life, can kind of help support the movement as well. And so I can start off. Um, I think that further to the, like, or not the analogy, but further to the story that Grace told earlier, I think it's really important, um, especially if you are a male or if you are a white woman and you encounter a conversation that is putting down women or like in the case of a white woman like women of color like you can't just switch the topic or you can't just ignore it and not respond like you need to say something and you need to address like why that is an issue um and that is something that yeah maybe is uncomfortable but I think is really important to do and yeah you might like have a bit of a difficult time you might need to do some research first but I think that is something that we should be all kind of striving towards is to have those difficult conversations Mm -hmm. yeah and and then when you're even in count so we're not experts on these things I feel like when you have conversations with people like people get so stressed that oh my gosh I don't know enough but no one's an expert really but you are an expert in your own experience right so when someone is speaking about their experience keep your mouth shut this is their experience that they're talking about and I feel like it's just so important that you know, having conversations, but also being a good listener, because you need to, you're learning something too. You're learning and you're unlearning, right? Because, you know, we've, we've had standards since we were young, um, that have been um, placed on us or ingrained in society, and we have to unlearn them too, right? So listening to people so that you can, you can understand too, and moving forward when you have different conversations, then you can bring something else to the table, right? So being a good listener, I think is really, really really important as well I think even too for men um I think it's really important to examine how you might be a participant in rape culture and how you may be making the women around you feel uncomfortable and I think this is a conversation that you can have um like with your female friends obviously with the giving them the respect that they might not want to have that discussion in that moment but I think it's important really to take into account the feelings of your female friends and how you can um maybe like help them feel more comfortable or um kind of uplift them rather than making them 
yeah, making them feel like unsafe or making them feel unheard or making them feel like they're crazy and emotional. Um, one more yeah. thing I wanted, one more thing I wanted to add is that, you know, if you do mess up and you know, you do kind of spew some biased rhetoric, be, take responsibility when you mess up as well. Like it's okay to be wrong. Like, like I think what you were trying to say before Grace, but the whole, you don't have to be angry. Yeah. People may not be angry, but apologize if you've done something wrong or you've, or you've said the wrong thing and then, um, use the benefits of your privilege to the, to help those who lack it right so you, you know in the space where those guys wouldn't sign up to the guy who who talked about um ranking women you know they should have used their privilege as males to really you know um speak on that and really just correct him but they didn't do that so remembering that as well because you know people everyone has some sort of privilege if it's benefiting someone else you should use it to create equality as well and again feminism is just about equality at the end of the day it's not about pitting anyone against each other we have to remember that and uphold that when we can absolutely okay so thank you so much angie my amazing housemate for joining us she's gonna plug herself on instagram and let her know where you guys can find her online yeah, so guys, please follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Angie underscore Antonio underscore. And maybe in a few weeks, you might see something interesting in my bio. I have been thinking a lot about starting um, a blog and I finally just put, was intentional about it and I did that. So if you're interested in reading, um, please check it out. It's going to be called Authentically Angie and the the URL is authentically-angie.com. So please check it out when, if you want. But yeah, my Instagram is Angie underscore Antonio underscore. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so we'll have Angie's username. Um, she'll be tagged on the Instagram. She'll be linked in the description of this episode. And when Authentically Angie goes live, we'll also put that on the story. So you can like check surprise. it out. Yeah, yeah that was a surprise for us too. <laughs> so I'm like so excited. I was like, yes. I love real. that name. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, but thank you so much, Angie. We had such a good time. Um, yeah, and thank you all for listening. If you like this episode, uh, give us a follow in a, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review if you want to. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.